I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN, and this DevOps Lunch and Learn is about certificate management. Uh, if you are familiar with SSL, HTTPS, you are using certificates on a daily basis, and yet actual management of trust and root CAs and distributing private and public keys or distributing public keys and managing private keys is tricky. And even in the conversation that we have here, you can see that we still struggle with the basics, even when we understand what's going on. And one of the challenges with this is in education and having people understand what they're actually getting from certificates and trust and what they're not getting. So enjoy this conversation with the perspective of just how much further we have to go to really start using these certificate infrastructures for what they were intended or giving up and finding another solution. I know you'll enjoy the conversation. It's very technical uh, and that's important to the subject. Besides Active Directory, what do you what does anyone have any cool CA or something like certificate authority? Um, yeah, like what do you guys use to issue certificates? If we're talking about SSL TLS here today, <laughs> um, Vault is nice for that. Yeah, if you get your PKs up properly inside Vault, um, you, you can. You can then request your source programmatically uh, via the API. Uh, you can you can have them being relatively short short lived. Um, so it's 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 acceptable for NTLS as well. <laughs> Me, I know nothing. Uh, although getting that vault info was good, but. I'm essentially uh, at these days a, an unemployed hands-off advisor. <laughs> Although I do have a question for the two of you. I'm seeing today, and maybe there's something weird with T-Mobile and or um, Xfinity, but we're literally just now getting in all sorts of messages that theoretically posted an hour ago, things like email, phone calls, voicemails, things like that. Like, like we were offline for an hour, but weren't. I took a GSM course in college. As in from a technical point of view or a T-Mobile point of view? Uh, because in general, the way GSM works is messages do have a backlog okay. that can be, okay, that can be processed. That, that shouldn't be the case, though, with, with Xfinity internet connectivity. And yet, literally, I just got the, uh, the Zoom reminder that supposedly came in an hour ago. I mean, it came in while Shane was talking to us about how the I needed uh, how I wasn't being promoted. <laughs> so it's like very strange behavior today. And hopefully I, it, I'm the only one. 
Yeah, I I, I didn't get today's uh, Zoom reminder late, uh, although uh, it's not always consistent. Yes, it's not always consistent. Although, yeah, that could have been a Zoom thing too. So Zoom, Zoom could have been backed up too. Wonder what internet weather looks like right now. And you guys talk about certificate administrators. Actually, self-signed certificate. Other than self-signed certificates, are there other certificates that are less than uh, certificate authority and more than self-signed? Is a question I have. Um like regional or or SAS type of certificates? I mean, technically, those, those are signed, but they're just not signed by a public certificate author. Mm. So, so, so I guess the, the, your question, I, I think, would be better phrases like, is, is there something between uh, like a, a local self-signed certificate and a... Public, public certificate, and the answer is yeah. yes. That that that's uh, that that's what uh, a, a private PKI is essentially for, and Unbolt can do that. Uh, Active Directory, yeah. I suppose, as well, or like local domains. Yeah. I mean, so for example, your Active Directory certificates are signed, and then when when a machine joins the domain, the AD sent pushes out its. It's CA to all your clients, and then any certificate that gets issued signed by that CA is trusted. Same thing if you have, say, MDM and you're and you want to be able to sign profiles off to devices, mm-hmm. you push a C, you push a a trusted cert off to all your mobile devices, yep. so it can trust your profiles. And so, so yeah, so it's I, a private PKI. Is it's is exactly okay. that? Yeah. Okay. So so I. A, a better way, I guess, to do the approaches is to say, you, you, there is no such thing as a standalone certificate. A, a certificate is always signed by an authority. Now, when you create a self-signed certificate only for yourself, you sign it yourself. You create a certificate authority signing key and you sign it yourself. Okay, yep. Uh, the step up from that is that um, you have a central server that signs the certificates for you. And then that means that if your local machines trust your own server, then you have trust established there. That is to say, if you push that cert off to all of your clients. Yes. Right. That, that's what I'm saying when, when you have the trust established. Uh, but thanks for clarifying that, that Mike. Uh, and, and lastly, when, when you use public signing you you basically send your signing re- you signing request to the public authority they verify that you are the owner of the domain sign it back to you and, and, and then you can use it and then anyone else who 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 connects us or using that certificate trust it trust it because they trust the signing authority already uh, and that's either because your computer or your browser have the, the public key of that signing authority in 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 their in their stores. This is a this is a very common question that I give on job interviews: is how SSL works, and 
it's a lot of people in the world of DevOps think that, you know, your laptop is verifying SSL certificates by going to the different CAs to verify. Now there are, there are the revocation lists, et cetera, but they don't under, but a lot of people don't understand that, you know, every, every laptop, every computer windows comes with a bunch of trusted certs. And so does all the browsers. And there are, and as much as each company is going to do its best to, to say that these, that these certs are really trusted, it only takes one compromised cert to sign pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So if the China trust, I hate to be racist here, but if, <laughs> but if the China-owned ISP's root cert that's sent out to everybody's browser and everybody's uh, computer is able to be used by someone to issue a certificate for google.com, then it's no different than if the re- than the real cert that's issued for google.com, except for things like certificate pinning. But And, and, and this happened in, in the past. Uh, like there, there, there are uh, periodic stories about certificates of certificate authorities uh, being removed from browsers because they misbehave, because they... Uh, gave a cert out to the wrong person and so on. So, I have to go mute for a bit. I'd have to get this appointment thing. All right. I'm trying to remember what this open source, there was a certificate repository, a, a CA that wanted to be included in Mozilla, but they couldn't because they couldn't pay the money for the independent auditors. Um. I'm trying to remember who it was. The CCC used to use them for things. If you're familiar with the CCC. I am familiar with them, yeah. Uh, they had, there was a whole story with, with insert, it wasn't Let's Encrypt. They have their own um, cert that they use. Um, and they were trying to get into Mozilla. They just couldn't. Hmm. Um. No, I, 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 I remember lots of various stories over the years about CAs being removed from browsers. I, I, I don't remember any story about the ACA wanting to be added to the browsers and, and, and not having, not being able to afford the uh, independent verification. Yeah, I'll, I'll find, I'll find it. Um, and then there's of course like Komodo. There are all the, all the certificates that get. They, they get hacked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's actually interesting that that you mentioned that 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 you ask uh, like candidates to to explain SSL because I do almost the same thing. I I gave them the choice of of explaining how either SSL or SSH works. Yeah, uh, hackint. I think that's who it is. Hmm. Hackint SSL. I think is the. Is the CA? Um, trust chain. That's Let's Encrypt. No, it's not them. Who was it then? Anyways.
Yeah, but the SSL is still a, an interesting, uh, an interesting challenge. Like I, I completely understand why it's why it's good to like why SSL is good. I, I just feel that we've uh, we've taken the wrong approach about educating people about SSL. In that um, we've, um... oh, sorry, John, let me just add you to promote you. I was not aware of that. That's interesting. Sorry. Uh, so again, I was saying like, um, with, with, with SSL, we, we, we've, for years, we've taught people to, to trust the, the, the lock on, on the browser bar to, to indicate that the, that the site is authentic. And, and it, SSL really wasn't meant to verify authenticity of the site, which it's just meant to verify that the site is using a TOS connection to, to between your browser and your server. And we we co-opted that for trust. And yeah, now we are suffering because of that. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, come on, SSL was totally for trust, right? I mean, when Netscape put it together, it was so they could enable e-commerce and payments over the web. It was it was totally to create a trusted source. I mean, it, it, the, the problem is we're still doing endpoint um, authentication, and, and that's been a fundamental problem from day one of the internet. They just forgot security. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, people. Uh, when I run into SSL, when I run into SSL issues, people are not, are unfamiliar with client SSL, and you know we have an internal system that someone had developed to use client SSL, and that developer left, and none of the actual developers know there's such a thing as client SSL. And, Oof. Uh, yeah, that, that, that can get interesting with uh, database connections. <laughs> Like, yeah, also swapping yeah. yeah, swapping CAs is a thing. MongoDB Atlas, they swapped out their CA about a month ago. And you know, if you're if you're if you're running a legacy database and your your system CA CA certs doesn't have that new certificate, then you just toasted all your connections to the database. Ouch. That happened to us. <laughs> I guess that's how you found out about it. Yeah, but it's just like, who would think, you know, I'm trying to connect to my database, trying to connect to my MongoDB database. I can't connect because my CA certs file, any, you know, it's not the first thing you associate with the database section. Maybe you should. Maybe maybe TLS is, you, sh- you should associate with database connections. <laughs> well, well, so there was also the story about uh, old thing, two years ago, maybe a year and a half. Uh, about older Android phones um, not being able to do to load pages anymore because they haven't received uh, an update to their CA certs, and I believe it was Let's Encrypt uh, needed to rotate 
their uh, signing keys. <sighs> so you gotta find the article. So this sounds like a fascinating area for someone who's really into uh, QA and testing that really is fertile ground that hasn't been particularly well explored. And this is also something I bet you that John really has extreme problems with because of this, exactly the fact that the relationships have not been fully explored and, and worked out. The cascading effects on this are just tremendous. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, let's encrypt killed TLS as far as I'm concerned. So it, it has, there is zero validity in um, SSL certificates once Let's Encrypt came out. On the other hand, with Let's Encrypt, many sites that otherwise would not have been encrypted move to encryption. And you're saying that the encryption itself is invalid. So what does that actually, what does it actually do? I would, would we argue then, John, that with whether, whether it is Let's Encrypt that co-opted on what, what you argue is uh, on uh, authentication or, or server authentication mechanism for encrypt for just widespread encryption uh, at the cost of the authentication. Uh, what would have been the alternative? Like, would would HTTP have given us any other approach to encrypted communication between clients and servers? Well, there are other approaches to, to handling this problem, right? And and I think that the problem with it is is that uh, you know certificates, you know, right right on down to you know putting the lock in your browser, showing that you are. Um, you are encrypted, right? Kind of stuff. Um, you know, is is that the three levels of, of certificates that were actually out there that the average consumer, in fact, I would argue, you, you could ask this at a party full of programmers, and they couldn't tell you what the three certificate types were, right? And so the consumer has no clue whether they're getting a domain validated versus organizational versus extended validation certificate. Um, and, and what it took to get that certificate, right? So, you know, the entire point here is that this is a, a trusted organization and what Let's Encrypt did is basically make it so anyone can get it and there's no, virtually no um, organizational validation whatsoever. Can I put a C name <laughs> into DNS? Can I put a text entry in? So if I can create a domain name, Right, which I can do for buck ninety nine across any number of providers into it. I can act as an encrypted website. Yeah, so they, they killed the verification piece. But uh, you you can ask the question whether the developer knows the difference between a domain or an EV, etc. But the client, the user, doesn't know the difference. Well, that's my because, point. So right. So before before let's encrypt right. Um, you know, it, it was generally people were getting organization, organizationally um, issued certificates or extended validation into it because they had to pay, right? If you try to sell a, a domain um, validated versus organizational validated certificates, 
generally they always would have opted for the organizational validation for, for the extra um, perceived um, what's the word quality of that certificate into it. Right. And then I dropped those 10 years ago, but I, I would argue though, that this also caused uh, security problems because um, people would just get a star cert and reuse it across all their sites. So you, you, you couldn't validate individual subdomains anymore. And, and you, well, you had to assume that, that your, your star cert was, uh, was not compromised. Now with Let's Encrypt, um, you, you need to, you, you, you at the very least have a verification of ownership. So it, it, it's still, the, it, we, I mean, it still doesn't solve the, the, the authenticity of, of the site, but at the very least, it, it gives you the knowledge that the site, the site operator is the one who requested the cert. Well, so it sounds like it really would be nice if those little nice lock icons uh, would, uh, both for educational purposes and informational purposes, at least uh, have some differentiation between the three types so that you know what type of certification. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 At least no, research. Because yes. no one has the EVs, so you never see it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, okay. Extend of the consumer so the consumer gets educated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and um, for most of them, I don't know, I was just flipping mine up in here too. If I click on that certificate, um, you, you, it, it gives me a site I can actually go in and find out what, what kind it was. Um, but it will turn, for most of the browsers, it will turn green if it's an EV, right? Otherwise, uh, it will either show an unlocked, a lock, or if it's an EV, it should turn green um, when you get those pieces. But, I mean, you know, it's only as encrypted. So, so Google isn't green. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not, I'm using, I'm, I mean, Chrome is not green. I'm sure if I go to Google itself. No, I'm 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 saying uh, uh, mail.google.com, Google.com. Uh, it's signed by Google Trust Services Limited, so it's not green either. <laughs> I just I'm looking at my my Gmail right now. Yeah, yeah, um, <coughs> yeah, and 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 to to um, to uh, uh, it, it is a wild card cert, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know think about it, like let's, let's encrypt, encrypt does give wild i'm pretty sure that let's encrypt does give wildcard search nowadays yeah i'm sure I, you probably would but I mean, the, I, the point, one of it is is that you're only a secure how, how many people think that the average user has 2fa set up on their their godaddy account <laughs> cough cough yeah you're only as secure as your dns is right <laughs> Or your web servers. I, I, I mean, I mean, GoDaddy is, is is the other problem there as well. Oh yeah. Um, 
Yeah, um, I mean, I look looking at the 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 Google uh, cert. I I, I can understand why, why Google themselves use a star cert because they likely use their their own CDN for this. So, um, what what you're seeing is the entry point to to Google serving a star cert and serving all of the the subdomains, and, and not not so much. Um, them validating on, on the server side stuff, which, which again is is the is the other reason why I I I don't think that that I mean yes I, I, as as you said John like cer certificates were created to validate authenticity, yeah. uh, but they're no longer being used for that. So, and 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 wanting to use. SSL search in in this day and age for validating authenticity. I don't think it's it's a valid approach anymore. I I should I want to get off my chest that you know I remember I was issuing certificates. I was ordering certificates for a company back in two thousand and let's say two thousand and eight two thousand nine, and we were spending thousands of dollars for certificates, and then. I can go to Namecheap and get the same certificate for 20 bucks. Well, back then it was a hundred dollars, right? And as far as our customers were concerned, I mean, first of all, this was a client app, this was you know back-end connections from our from a from a mobile application. So I guess it wasn't a mobile application, then it was uh, uh, on the computer. So no one was even seeing this connection. And it was just it was obvious highway robbery that Symantec was selling me these things for thousands of dollars. When they were just as valid for from a technical point of view, they're just as valid as the hundred dollar solution from from a different com company. Yep, and and that's actually one of the things that that really kind of got the the whole community out there uh, behind Let's Encrypt. Um, so the but like Klaus said, it's morphed. So. I think we really need to figure out what it's morphed to and what we need to get back to what, what we really need for the security issues. So it's like, it's fine if it's morphed, but let's admit that it's morphed and get the real stuff in there too. I also wanted to say that I was looking at my browser and I've got Firefox on, on Linux and I went to DuckDuckGo, which uses DigiCert, and the damn locks the same color as all the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm actually seeing the same thing, which is just completely odd because it, it always used to have three different visual cues for it. I'm, I'm googling the same shit, kind of going like, uh, "What the hell?" Yep, yep. I I I I, I don't remember ever seeing any, any difference between a, a, a single domain cert and an an org cert, but I. I mean, EV certs, yes, do did or at least did have that green bar. Um, they should probably still have it. And I don't see any reason why why they would have removed that. I just suspect that hardly anyone is using EV certs anymore. Well, I'm just I, it's interesting because I'm I'm like you know I want the B of A right. That <laughs> yeah, that should have been a green that you you. No question, hash should have been green. It's like that that Chrome drops support for differentiating. 
for something well, changed here. It seems like um, Firefox has too, because DigiCert should certainly be green, right? Yeah. Actually, uh, try TD.com. TD? Yeah, that, that, they're using an EV search. As in Toronto Dominion. Uh, right. Yeah, I don't know with Firefox, but Firefox likes to. Uh, yeah, it's the same as all the rest, but it says verified by Inc. when you hover over it, whereas when I was hovering over the other stuff, it wasn't actually uh, <laughs> showing. Yeah, in, in my browser, it actually shows it in, in a different bar. I'm using uh, Chrome derivative. Yeah, Firefox, it it doesn't show any difference. The only difference is if you hover over the lock, you actually get the verified by interest, whereas I don't get it on ones that don't have the extended. Uh, huh. That is very interesting. Oh, now I'm getting verified by Cloudflare, at least on one of them. Let's see if what. Uh, it's just going to be using a CDN. I, I wish Cloudflare didn't become a CA, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I hear you on that one. Um, I was a bit skeptical about why is is Cloudflare extended or not. It's kind of like, uh. but yeah, now now for some reason the hover is working for me uh, for all of these. Which, yeah, I, I. But still, it's like. Uh. Oh, Zoom, DigiCert. I didn't even, I had looked at Zoom and it didn't. And I mean, I, I would say that even showing the lock in, in the browser bar is hardly useful anymore. Right. Your no browser knows. will give you a very conspicuous pop-up when you go to a, a site that doesn't have TLS or, or that has only partial TLS. Yeah. <coughs> So another question along these lines, we've got Let's Encrypt, and I've actually got a couple of uh, tabs that have Let's Encrypt that are now showing when I hover, which is, you know, the hover helps a lot. But um, so man in the middle and um, supply chain, uh, I would assume that this stuff is extremely susceptible for one supply chain problem, and we're in trouble. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it's any more or less susceptible to supply chain problems than before. Like again, like if you're using a, a star cert and your star cert is compromised, the entire supply chain is compromised. Right. Um, supply chain tends to, at least these days, tends to not care about endpoint verification either. So the, the 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 supply chain attacks happen before that, happen when when you create your artifact, before you sign it, so that when your legitimate signing pipeline receives the artifact and and, and uploads it, it believes that 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 it's the real deal, and at that point it's already compromised. Right. Um. But yeah, it's. It, it it is a I mean establishing trust is a 
difficult job. Like it, 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 it's not something that that is solved. It's not something that it would ever ever be solved because there's different degrees of trust. There's different layers of trust. Th uh, what I trust is not necessarily what you trust. Um, we we sort of tried to to do this on a global base basis. Um, like even back in, in in like turn like late nineties, early two thousands, like the, the Web of Trust project, it, <laughs> it they recognized that there was an issue with with, with, with trusting websites. They they tried to do provide an alternative, but they utterly fizzled them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, it goes back to like the initiatives now wrapped around zero trust, which are all still certificate based. Uh, yes, kind of. I mean, zero trust is more about client authentication than server authentication. It's actually both. It's it's like if you're doing zero trust, it's basically issuing a, a certificate for the workload, a certificate for the server it's running against, and it's basically comparing the workloads and the servers to make sure they're all trusted, right? So, well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, Zero Trust does, does both things, but uh, the, the big advantage of Zero Trust over, say, just a website with TLS is, is that it adds the, the client authentication part. Like, is the, 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 the fact that it verifies that the... the 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 person connecting to this resource is actually who they say they are. By but you'd have SSL on the back end, anyways. So yeah, right. So you 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 basically move your certificate authority to to also act for as client authentication to some degree. Right? It's it's not literally that, but but. But yeah, I thought it was, I, I, you know, it might be an interesting topic because that's not the way I understand it at all. Um, it, I think it would be an interesting topic, mainly because I think part of the issue with Zero Trust right now is that there are, there, there is the implementation out there that Klaus and a few others and probably Mike have had their hands on and maybe John versus what they are attempting to do with it. So I don't think reality meets uh, spec or uh, design as, as yet. Yeah, and, 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 and so and, that's also a big issue because suddenly trust is gone if your implementation is lacking. And, and, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at the Rocky, like you said the keyword that I like in intent. Uh, so like zero trust, has several steps of verification, but the reason why Trust was brought forward is because uh, the designers wanted an alternative to VPN for accessing internal resources. You, or at least the way Trust is used now, is to allow external clients to access internal resources as if they were public by going through the zero trust process and verifying that they are who they are. Because today, if you're using an SSL VPN, if you have a compromised client, 
then the compromised client now basically has access to any resource that you'd be that you'd have access to. So once you're using right. zero trust in the browser, I, a compromised browser would be a problem. But in general, it's not you're not opening up your VPN to anything that's sitting on a laptop. And and that and that is that is where the zero and zero trust come from. Is that before like with a with a VPN, you had to trust everything that came from the the VPN server because you, that's where the authentication stopped. Zero trust brings it closer to 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 your backend and saying like, okay, this connection is authenticated for this specific service, not not anything else. Uh, that's a good point. I'm looking at it from the client side. You're looking at it from the server side, and they're both very valid points. Yeah. I, mean, it, I mean, it goes line in line with 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 MTLS in 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 your Kubernetes cluster. Like it, it, when, when you when you run it with no network policies, with with, with no MTLS, uh, theoretically any service in your cluster can, or any pod in your cluster can connect to any service. Uh, with with Zero Trust, you or in this case with with MTLS, you 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 have the the limitation between uh, connections between pods and services and pods and pods, in that they need to have matching certs. Zero uh, Trust doesn't use the same approach on the or the, on the same technical approach, but it, the end goal is the same. Uh, John, uh, were you going to say something about uh, Spiffy? No, I just put the link in there, right? That kind of goes over the various components of it. So I have a question for you guys. Uh, with all this TLS stuff and trust and lack of trust and zero trust, um, is, the, is it something that cloud folks might be doing or are doing where they create their own private private certs and then they disallow all certs other than their specific private cert they private certs that they have control over on things like um, uh, clusters and and other things that they create for uh, internal use only or whatever that, that or did it, they still go for the cert authorities and stuff when when you're using mtls like uh, just to be clear, uh, do you know what MTLS means, Rocky? Uh, first time I heard it was out of your mouth a couple, uh, about a minute or two ago. Okay, so MTLS stands for Mutual TLS. So it, oh, okay. it, it, it's basically two-way uh, TLS-based verification. So uh, your, your, your client verifies that your server's certificate is valid, but your client also presents a certificate to the server so that the, the server can verif verify it uh, and by proxy uh, check that the client is authorized to connect to it. And right. the authorization okay. happens at the CA level, the ah. certificate authority level. Okay. So, so within, within that context, uh, yes. Uh, with, so in Kubernetes, uh, MTLS is implemented with, with private self-signed certs. When you install Istio or Linkerd or, or any other service mesh that does TLS or, or MTLS, that is literally what it does. Like the, the so Istio behaves as a certificate authority, 
and via the Istio configuration, uh, it it can provide the cert certificates for the for the various uh, pods to to do the client on uh, uh, server verification. Cool. So then the next question for you guys is uh, a maturity question. It's how well does it work? Does it have gaps? And uh, do you think it's obviously it's probably the best thing out there, but um, I'm almost I'm I'm thinking whether they're 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 gaps or missing functionality and um, how resilient and resistant it is to uh, attacks or errors, bugs. It's internal vulnerable, right? It depends what your KMI is. Okay. So internal vulnerable is uh, a good label for it that that folks need to know who are working with this. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Like if your certificate authority is compromised, then your entire stack is compromised. Right. So uh, the, the, the idea, though, is that you add several more steps than an attacker must go through before compromising your certificate authority. Well, you, you eliminate. So like at least the way we did it, right, is that we, we I outlawed logins on anything. Everything was done via certificates and we were the CA. Right. And so we had one-time certs, we had application-specific certs, we had you know different certs for different roles. <clears throat> but you weren't getting into production without the certificate. And then the point of attack becomes the certificate of authority, whatever you're using for that. <clears throat> and if you grab some off-the-shelf, you know, CA like Vault or something to that effect, then you're as secure as it is. Or you can go to military grade CAs. You know, which we did in some instances where, you know, you need two people with two USB fobs to basically issue a cert, um, you know, but then it becomes the point of attack and it also becomes the, mm -hmm. the point of vulnerability from a service outage perspective. Have you replicated it? What zones is it replicated against? So there's no perfect world, but you can certainly make it a lot I mean, yeah. what what are the things that break, right? Someone installs Hadoop, which has no security into it. They install Elastic, which has no secure front end into it. So, yeah, you have endpoints that are not secure by default. Right. Just for, just for record, Elastic now does have secure front ends unless you go with a full open source uh, version. Are they, are, <laughs> are they still charging for it? Yeah. No. So 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 Elastic now has essentially three license tiers. There's the open source version, which is the fully open source, which, which does not have the security part. Then there's the free version, which has the um which has the basic security components, in, including authentication uh and certificate uh, uh and, and SSL. Uh, and then the, with the paid version, you, you get OIDC and, and, and other external authentication uh, integrations. Uh, so I'll, just, I'll put it this way. Like, look, most of the Apache ecosystem does not provide secure endpoints by default. And, and you know, you, you've got the developer that basically puts together his HTFS file system, comes in the next morning, discovers all of his files have been deleted, with a friendly message in HDFS that says, you've been hacked, please secure your cluster. 
And, and I know that because I've experienced it. <laughs> Not personally, but one of my engineers has. <laughs> or send one Bitcoin too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I guess my point to Rocky's thing is you, you, you can... You can certainly use certificates in a, a um, not using third-party CAs to build a pretty good security infrastructure into it, but it doesn't help you if when you're deploying services that that fundamentally don't have secure endpoints anyways. Yeah, you know, and there's too many of those out there. And also, also the affords. There's also forward security. So you're saying you know if we if you hack a if you hack a CA. If you compromise a CA, then you know you're fully compromised. With forward secrecy, there are certain attacks that you still won't be able to that you still won't be able to pull off. Uh, example. So forward secrecy means that you would have to be you'd have to follow an entire end-to-end connection to see. That, I'm not even sure that's true. Am I right? Forward secrecy should make it so you can't read a replayed TCP connection. You can't man in the middle a replayed. You can't play back a a, a SSL connection, right? Uh, um, you can't man in the middle a connection. You when when forward secrecy is set up, if I remember correctly. That's for example, I was talking about SSL decryption in the enterprise, and it's the forward secrecy that makes it impossible. To do that, basically. Well, I don't think it makes it impossible because, yeah, what you do is you just mimic the certificate they're going to and serve it up as if it's valid. I, I, At least that's what we did at Blue Code. <laughs> no, I mean, we get to we get to inject in an enterprise. We get to inject who the trusted CAs are. So there's nothing stopping us from injecting ourselves as a trusted CA and then just issuing the cert dynamically, including to your Bank of America. <laughs> well, I mean, we do that on Palo Alto too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, um, I, I, I did point out it was interesting. I was working on some stuff recently, and of course, HTTP three does it supports TLS, um, but it also it does the the sequentially increasing ciphers on each segment it sends out. And so I actually had someone do a packet dump, and we we're testing some of the HTTP stuff to see whether it's still using TLS or it's basically using the segment security. And it is using segment. So there is no TLS involved in H3 from what I'm seeing so far in deployments. Cool. Uh, Mike, go, go, going back to what you meant, uh, to forward secrecy. Um, so forward secrecy protects uh, your session, not, uh, not, not the full connection. So the, the idea is that... Um, the the connection between your server and client A is is using different encryption keys than the connection between your server and client B. Uh, so TLS effective uh, essentially the uh, the way it's implemented now is forward secrecy because you your your server is is uh, encrypting uh, the traffic using the public key of your client. Uh, and vice versa. So, so that if you have an established session, and then your uh, and after that, someone 
compromises your server or, or at least uh, the your network uh, and your your SSL uh, cert. Your established session is still protected because uh, it is already as established using the um, using the, the the public keys given at the the time of session uh, at the time the session was created. So if oh, if, if the keys are changed afterwards, it doesn't affect this session. It will affect future sessions, though. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> So another question I have is, is all this stuff we've been talking about so far today documented in any one place? Is there a good um, book, ebook, uh, website or whatever that really kind of goes through these, uh, the, the pros, cons, uh, foibles, et cetera, of all this and not so so much as how to implement, but what it means to have be using this and and what you have to uh, be aware of. That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, let's just Google it. Now it, it all has its roots in the, the original ISO shit, right? Right. To, to, but, to be honest, I. I learned about this over, over years of, of just like right. picking stuff up by osmosis by actually working with it. Um, so, but it's a good question. It, it, and it, it might be something where if you or you know somebody who is uh, has got this this expertise out there would be a good ebook op opportunity if it doesn't exist, because this is like critical and it's only going to get more critical. And getting this out information out to newbies is also extremely critical. As John pointed out with the engineer who had his file systems deleted, you've been hacked. <laughs> yeah, I got to imagine that there's a number, and I'm looking at this Google around, there's a number of books that are out there. I, I would argue almost the reverse, though. Is, this, is, this is really a, a operations team issue. I don't want my developers to have to know about this. Um. <clears throat> I, I think what you need is a concepts course for your developers. So like a, a one hour, two hour concept of this is what we're dealing with and, and why and some of the gotchas. And so just so you know what's out there um, yeah, while you're de developing your apps and why we're asking you to do these certain things. because concepts this is the gotchas right but if i'm deploying behind something like kubernetes with istio right is mm -hmm. is this is really transparent to the developer they just need to focus on creating their microservices their functions right um it, it is transparent as long as it works with istio um it, it becomes not transparent if you establish zero trust for external access and the developers are implementing the client-side application to connect to uh, to your internal services. Application. Um, I mean, I I hate that I'm going to say this because I I, I spent a non-existent amount of time arguing 
or, or at least uh, establishing my dislike for them before, uh, before. But I kind of feel like this would be a good application of a bootcamp, like uh, a general internet security bootcamp. And it doesn't just need to be application or application developer specific. Like this, this is something that, that should be general ed- education saying like, this is, these are the, the, the fundamentals on, on how security works on the internet. Something that, I mean, so, at least in the Western world, 99% of, of people something, use. Something taught in high school or middle school. Um, well, how about Stanford? Yes. Classes. So one of my, one of my friends, Steve Weinstein, teaches a course at Stanford on ethical hacking, which is actually written for um, non-technical people. So it covers all these types of weird little things into it. And, and yes, yes. At, at, at universities, they're just almost any university with an IT department or with, with, with a CS school will have, uh, at the very least, uh, an, an elective or, or an optional for security. Yeah. But I, I think what, 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 I'm, what I'm trying to argue here is that we should shift left on that. Uh, and, and say like internet security or in general internet hygiene should be something that is taught early on childhood and especially now when you look at uh, what COVID-19 has done for us and everyone's online and being taught online you need to actually even have a um, a little kid safety course of this is what you don't do and you don't have to be all that specific, but there should be a, a little course for every high, high school, middle school and grade schooler on Internet hygiene. You know, I, yeah, maybe I, I look at these things. I mean, I, I think, you know, particularly with the, the age Not at the level we've population. been looking at, though. I, I look at the, the phising attacks that are going on, the, the phone scam things that are going on, you know, wire transfer things that are going on, you know, the, 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 um, you know, the, the encryption, whatever they're calling the ransomware acts that are going on. I mean, there's, there's so many things that are probably hitting so much harder than this that, that, you know, maybe, maybe for engineers, but just in the general public. Right. I mean, you know, it, yeah, maybe it's a function of the fact our security is so bad, you know. But I, I, right now on my phone, I get, I have a, a message from UPS telling me my package is ready. <laughs> and I know I don't have any UPS packages coming. <laughs> so can I switch topics out of curiosity? Uh, is uh, Just as a, as a warning, we are at the top of the hour. Um, yeah. I, I'm... I'm okay with spending a couple more minutes, but I don't know how long we have until we get kicked off. I was just starting to stop there for something that the chat socially next time. We, we had a couple of, um, of articles pop up that were kind of interesting. One was a list of kind of cool um, uh, container applications that are out there. Another one was like a list of like 20 um, Linux utilities, uh, which most I hadn't seen. They're actually pretty cool. I was just kind of curious if people had a list of kind of like non-common utilities that have been very useful for them. It was just kind of like, okay, maybe it's time to go do a, a look out there to see what's new instead of using all the shit I've been using for 20 years. Because there's some pretty cool stuff out there. 
Um, oh, cool. A, a tech tool swap meet. <laughs> more, more or less. Um, yeah, I, I have no suggestions because I'm uh, I'm on the curmudgeonly grumpy person side of new tools. Like, well, this is good enough for me. Why? <laughs> I, I'm not gonna bother pick, picking up something new. Uh, in many cases, and, and and then I pick it up, and, and then I was like, okay, this is this, this is the new black. This okay. sounds like a session that could be part of uh, the Linux Con or um, some of the other things. It might be like a good session for uh, uh, cloud native and and places like that. You just have like a little session where people trade their their tool. Uh, war stories slash this works for me and and stuff like that and specifically focused on uh non um mainstream yeah. for, for example where I, I just threw out there like fcf i don't know if any of you guys have used it fuzzy find fcf fuzzy finder for your command line integration oh although nope. we integrated it into a bunch of other other things as well Right, you you will never go back to less or to grow. Yeah. Right. So I, I, just, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I I would use it if it was made default in 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 Linux distributions. I spend so much time server side in in limited environments that I I I personally don't see the point in picking up a new tool. Unless it's ubiquitous enough, so that I, it works out of the box most of the time. But then this is also where some of these things were sessions at conferences and whatnot, especially a Linux type conference, where tools can be introduced and could actually gain that um, that cap the acceptance level of being included in a distro if they get introduced in such a way uh, when, when enough people say yeah yeah that's really good and they get discussed to a point where they're they're brought to maturity for inclusion in distro but if you don't know about them you can't include them <laughs> yeah you know we we I, so I, I, you know we we have you know a dev kit that builds and installs our environments to it and so as we find things that are worthy of it you know, we just added into it, which is similar to like what the GitHub Spaces is doing yep. for Go and the other programming languages, you know. But um, I just, there was a bunch of stuff I hadn't seen of. And, you know, a lot of it were just like taking format that, that is difficult to do and cleaning it up. Um, you know, there are things like Fuzzy Find. You know, there are, um, you know, any number of Vim plugins that we use and that kind of stuff. I was just curious what other people had well, in terms of toys that I hadn't seen. And this goes to my whole uh, desire to cure, curate open source. Uh, find out what, what is well-written and useful and spread the word and also spread the word on things you shouldn't use, but curate open source. Um, the other side of this is I have a friend who writes lots of open source and he writes lots of tools and very few people use his tools, but you might've heard of one of his tools 
which goes back to the 90s, the GNU coverage tool, which you could use to write tests for your tool, for your uh, uh, software, and figure out whether you've actually covered the bases on testing it. A really simple tool and whatnot. So there are tool makers out there that uh, their tools could actually be extremely useful that nobody hears about where, uh, and the other side of it where you would like to have some of these tools, but you'd never hear about them either. So yeah, this is again, open source curation is needed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. So, I mean, yep. I, I think, you know, we're trying to get into that stuff and, and go through what's good, what's not good. Um, but it's, there's a bunch of stuff we just missed. So it's kind of like, yep. if I don't know about it, you can't curate it. Exactly. Exactly. And there's just so much out there that there are like 20, 30 view versions of some of the, some really basic tools. And at least one of them would probably be good enough to, uh, change the way you do development or deployment or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm to the point now where it is, is um, it's all about keystrokes. Yep. <laughs> the fewer keystrokes, the better off I am, you know, kind of thing. But um, there's definitely some things that are out there that um, are, are worth, I was saying, I threw it out there as a topic and maybe people will think about it and maybe next time they'll say, hey, you know what? I use this, this, or this. Like I, like I say, FCF is pretty freaking cool. We, we've got a number of, of different um, pieces we put in. I know that um, Rob and Emery use like Podman for like container management and other pieces in there. So I was just kind of curious what other one-off tools people might be using. Right, right. Yeah. All right, I will let you guys go. I'm gonna go back to Ashley. I think I'll, I'll I will write some code that could be. Oh useful. no, not that! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Talk to you guys later. Have a good week. Thanks. Later. You too. Cheers. Wow. I I really like to talk about certificate management, and you'll notice I wasn't on this podcast. Uh, I I got to I had to miss this session, uh, and in listening to it. I really get reminded of how important it is to do these things well and write and automate them and how tricky it is. So I hope you'll think about how you're using certificates and think through what it takes to build a resilient certificate infrastructure uh, and embed that into your automation. Because the more we standardize these components, the more we can count on them being used correctly. And they really are safe. Thanks. Oh, and... Join us at the cloud uh, at the 2030.cloud. Uh, we want to hear from you. And you know, you have a chance to lead some of these discussions and bring in your topics and your interests. And that is what makes these discussions work. So join us. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, 
uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.